Hi, Peter Bregman here. Before we get into this episode, I want to let you know that registration for a very special program, the Bregman Leadership Intensive, is now open. It's unlike any leadership program you've been to before. We don't talk about leadership in the intensive. We actually engage in experiences that bring out the best of who you can be as a leader. We uncover blind spots that you may have, and in it, you will learn how to get around those blind spots in order to remove the obstacles that prevent you from contributing your maximum potential. To apply and see if you're the right fit, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership. And you can learn more about the intensive there. We only have 20 spots open and we're filling up. So don't hesitate to apply now. That's bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to apply for the intensive today. That's it for now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. Here with us today is Alex Goryachev. He is the Senior Director of Innovation Strategy and Programs at Cisco. He heads up the company's innovation strategy. And in some earlier emails that he and I passed by, we talked about uh, companies and innovation and the fact that most companies, in his view, don't really understand what innovation really entails and that it's not about inventing new technologies or or developing disruptive products as much as it is about people and really creating an organization at the enterprise level of people who are willing and able to innovate. And I was captured by that conversation, and I'm uh, happy to have Alex on the podcast with us to share some of his thoughts and experience around innovation and how we can uh, instill more of an innovation culture in our organizations. Alex, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. I'm uh... Uh, I do believe innovation is a mindset, and I'm quite thrilled uh, to talk about it. That's a great place to start, which is what is innovation in your view? This is what you spend your life on, so let's define it. No matter what you state, right, I think innovation is all of the above, right? It really de- depends on what what sector you're in, what company you work for, and what it means to you. But I think there are two critical things that are worth noting. One is innovation is is a mindset, right? It's a state of being. I look at my son, uh, he's four years old and he's an innovator, right? It's his, it's, there's a curiosity and desire to try things out, right? That's what the innovation is, right? Let's tie a couple of concrete uh, concepts or concrete tasks to what innovation is. So it's curiosity and the desire to try things out. What else fits in that category? Um, it could be invention. It could be execution. It could be a cultural um, attribute, right? Um, it could be about creating a new product. It could be about not doing a stupid thing, right? So meaning uh, letting go of a process, right? Um, so at the end of the day, innovation is a state of mind um, which allows us to do our best work. You know, it's interesting because I could think of You know, when I worked for a very large consulting company back in the late 90s, 
and I was really trying to approach it with innovation and creativity, one of the reasons I left is because there was a very clear message in the organization that they weren't looking for innovation and creativity. In fact, what they were really looking to do was to take methodology that already existed and to, and to implement it and to, and to scale it across 50,000 consultants who could administer that methodology without deviation which means specifically not innovate, meaning, meaning innovation would disrupt their process. What they needed was compliance with the process to make sure that they could scale with quality and efficiency. So it, it seems, I, I just want to throw that into the conversation, which says that not every organization wants or needs innovation, which is people coming at things with curiosity and and the willingness to try new things. And I imagine that might be true for elements of Cisco also. I mean, if you have people on, on the factory line innovating, is that, you know, when they're making the, these sort of like nano-sized chips, is that going to disrupt the whole process in a way where there's a downside to innovation? Like, I, I'm, I'm asking this as a question for Cisco. You know, it's an exceptional point. Innovation has the, right, has the time and place, right, and purpose. So I think it's essential when you think about innovation that every functional unit looks at, right, every business unit, every entity, every team really defines what that innovation is and isn't for them. And most importantly, what metric they'd like to move with the innovation, right? So innovation, it's means to an end. It's all about the outcome. So what is the outcome that they're trying to enable? You know, when we talk about curiosity, it's it's an attribute of invention, right? When we talk about discipline and execution, right, you talked um, scaling things. So it's I think innovation has um, an invention has its places everywhere. It's just how we focus on the right area at the right time. You run strategy for a very large organization, uh, strategic innovation strategy for a very large organization. So. How do you draw the lines and manage the places where, and you said innovation is all about people. How do you draw the lines and manage the places where, where you encourage people to really think outside the box and create and innovate and where you encourage them to, you know, efficiency, which I would argue is the opposite of innovation. Like that, that you know, the more efficient we become, the less innovative we, we are. And because innovation is not a particularly efficient process, uh, it, it requires, as you said, curiosity and trying things and some things won't work. And that's just the nature of innovation, which is actually very inefficient. So how do you draw the line and encourage innovation where it belongs and how do you and, and, and not where it doesn't? Um, I think it's about, um, you know, I think it's about getting everybody on the same page and spelling out clear priorities for uh, for the for the business in particular areas, but the one thing that you know you you made a very interesting point about process, right? But when you think about you've talked about a large consultancy, right? When you think about a large company, there is a tremendous knowledge with employees, and if you go to employees and if you say, "What product should we build?" they might give you ten answers, right? But if you go and say, what processes should we change so that they're easier and better and we save money, they would probably have a lot of, a lot of answers. And in most cases, they would be spot on. 
So I think, uh, right, when you think about innovation, it, it's not only about creating new products, it could be about improving processes and and, 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 and there's room and innovation uh, for that as well. I see. So what you're really saying is um, there's a particular domain of innovation for each employee in, in their own particular way. And that from a management perspective, what's really important is to be clear about here's where I want you to innovate and here's where I don't want you to innovate. And to have those clear lines because for an employee who's close to the customer, you might want them to innovate around how they're going to serve that particular customer's need and the process that they might use for servicing customer needs, but you don't want them to necessarily come up with new ideas for a product to say and to promise the customer, oh yeah, let's create that. That would be really cool when in fact that might disrupt the organization strategy in a non-productive way. I think there's a couple of points here. You're so right about the domain because generally what we don't want to create in large companies is our two classes, right? Classes of innovators and not innovators, right? And if you're in any job role, you're an innovator, right? Because there's a domain to which you can apply your expertise. And so that's the first one. Everybody is an innovator. We just innovate in a very different areas. And I think the point I'm making in this conversation too, which I think is important, is to is the clarity of expectations as leaders and managers that we make to the people who are working for us about where we want their innovative spirit and energy going and where we don't so that they have clarity as to where they should be creative and where they should, in a sense, you know, uh, uh, follow an established process. Am I thinking about this correctly? Well, I, I mean, definitely, I think it's about setting priorities and saying, hey, these are the priorities for the company, right? So when we at Cisco, when we run an innovation challenge, for example, we talk about these are the priorities for a particular business unit. At the same time, you don't want, there is a difference between, you know, coming up with an idea and implementing the idea. So you, I mean, at the end of the day, it's important that we hear our employees. They can have great ideas and they have great ideas and they will have great ideas that are not necessarily in their domain field, right? And it's important that we listen to those ideas and then we may or may not take action. And uh, to your point, when we don't take action, it's essential that we go back to employees and we say, we're not taking action for this reason, right? And that allows employees to understand their idea was heard. It may not be relevant for this particular reason, and that allows them to, to pivot and focus on other things. The other thing is if you run this transparently across the company, what's not beneficial um, to you and I could be beneficial to another business function, right? right? By nature, there is a lot of duplication of effort in any large enterprise. So when you go and when you connect things together, there is, again, there is uh, there's operational effectiveness, and that's innovation as well. Right. How many people work at Cisco? About 74,000. Okay. And your role is to encourage and spread productive innovation across those 74,000 people, you said? Good point. My role is actually, I run Cisco's co-innovation centers. Um, we have 14 co-innovation centers around the world um, where I enable others to co-innovate with our customers. 
And, and it, that's kind of my day job. And I have another day job, which is really how do we engage our employees with each other and with the external ecosystem, right? So it's not only how do we enable employees to give us ideas, but it's really how can we take that ideas and how we can execute them in partnership with our customers. So what are the top three things that you've learned in in doing that about innovation that would be interesting for us to know? Like what, what have you, you know, what surprised you as you're executing on on this mandate that that, you know, really stimulates innovation in a way that can help the rest of us innovate? So, um, I mean, when we look at, there are a number of rewards that we, uh, that, that we give to our employees for participating in, in, you know, in different innovation competitions. And, um, and what I've learned is the number one reward is actually the ability to connect with fellow innovators, right? So creating networks around the, around the company and connecting people with similar interests and similar passions is, is exceptionally important. And that is probably a biggest reward. We all kind of search for our tribe, right? No, no matter where we are in life and work, in, in our journey. And in a large company, people are somewhat siloed by function, especially if this is a geographically distributed company. So I think that's number one. It's actually the ability to discover people um, and engage with them. That's the first one. I think the second one is the role that the middle managers play in this uh, in this whole innovation equation. When we look at the data over years, and we've been running innovation programs, uh, you know, in a company for well over you know decades, but this recent one, the Innovate Everywhere Challenge, when the, where we gather employee ideas, the best ideas are consistently coming from same teams with strong leaders that listen to employees and they empower them to do to pursue other things to be happy in essence not only be siloed right and focused on a day-to-day job but creating an opportunity for them to engage with others outside of their function great how do they do that you know what have you noticed about those leaders that make them so effective at engaging the people around them yeah they have a win-together approach Right. I actually think that when you look at the large company, right, there's two assets that are that are that are tremendous for any for any large company. The first one is that knowledge base. Um, when you have 74,000 employees, they know a lot of things. Right. So when you connect them together, beautiful things happen. That knowledge base is a tremendous asset. And the second one is when a large company executes in a in a perfect for, formation, right, with all functions together, we can do amazing things. So I think the the number one attitude that is relevant to innovation that people hear from leaders, it's all about working well with others and bringing value to others. So this whole concept of lonely innovator, it's a myth, right? You can be a lonely inventor. True. In order to take that invention to the market, whenever that's a product or a process, you need to get others on board and you need to communicate with them and you need to listen and pivot. And that is working well with others. So I'm thinking about this issue that we talked about earlier around this, the sort of inefficiency of innovation in some ways, like which is to innovate is to think and to try things and to risk failure and right. 
And I think when I think of middle managers who are a key uh, player in eliciting uh, innovation, um, uh, which I think you and I would both agree on, but I've heard you speak about. So if you if you think about that, you know, and then you think about what are middle managers and even leaders for the most part rewarded for it's efficiency and productivity, especially at a time when, you know, where people thin out the ranks and, you know, when there's very few organizations where people are walking around with extra time. I've written a book about managing time. And one of the things I say to my audiences is how many people leave the office at three or four o'clock in the morning because they've simply run out of things to do. And now they have all of this extra free time. And nobody in, you know, 10 years of asking that question has ever raised their hand. And you yourself said to me, look, I've been, you know, when we got on the phone, you said, look, from, I've been from 7 a.m. on nonstop from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. So given that reality of organizational life, especially in large enterprises, but really also, that's not even true, like really in, in small startups and every organization that I've ever been in, where time is at such a premium and there's a longer list of things to do than we have time to accomplish. How do you inject into that environment a spirit of, you know, bemused thinking and sitting around a table with your colleagues and tossing around ideas for doing things differently or better when, you know, there is so much pressure to efficiently deliver on our mandates? You know, it's an exceptional point. I was actually talking to uh, to my wife about this over the weekend. And when I say the the startup is the family, right? We've been married for for ten years. We have a baby, and the second one is on the way. And it's like Maria, there is time as a commodity. And it's very clear that the system that we have today, in terms of just free time, leisure, right, that requires that, it's not working. Let me just reinforce for you as as the father of three children who are a little older now, 11, 13 and 17. Um, that is a very true statement. Like you, you know, like you have to you, you, you do have to innovate here to find ways of leisure. But your your life does change. And <laughs> welcome to the club. Uh, thank you. In a beautiful way. My kids are awesome in a beautiful way. And it changes. You know, it's it, it's funny, right? Because every every before our first child was born, everybody looked at us and kind of said, "Hmm, you're expecting your life will change," and they kind of smiled funny. And we looked at each other like, "What do they mean?" And now our friends that are having their first babies, so all we do is we're saying, "Yeah, congratulations, your life is going to change," and then we smile funny, right? And it's about um, it's about finding time, and it's about reevaluating their priorities, right? So when you think about the business, you've you've hit an exceptional point that's about measuring, right? And typically, when we measure something, we get better at it, right? And if and when we measure innovation, the business structure will typically adjust in some way or another to create room for that innovation, right? Meaning, for example, if you were you know, a business leader and your compensation is now dependent upon, um, you know, certain attributes. I don't know, revenue stream from new products or, or some other things. People are going to change their behavior. So I think having the right metrics for innovation is essential. And for every single or and for every organization, it's a, it's a different thing. You talked about uncertainty. 
uh, innovation sometimes is like this maze, right, where you go and you hit dead ends. I love dead ends because for me it's certainty. I just hit a dead end, great. I should be pursuing this road, right? So it, it all depends on your attitude and how you look at it. So how do you measure innovation? I think it, it, I think it's an ability to influence other metrics, right? So if I think about innovation, it's not really a, a metric by itself, right? It's it's really when you think. Let's talk about, for example, new products, right? Innovation, new products, right? Is it are you gaining? Is your revenue stream uh, changing because of new products? If you look at the new business models, are you diversifying your revenue from business models, right? If you think about culture, are when people are leaving the company, right? Are they leaving because they can't innovate, right? Does that impact your brand? So in essence, is there a metric that is that measures innovation? Honestly, I'm not sure about that. I know there's a metric that could measure invention, for example, patents, right? That is one of a very clear metric. I think innovation is is really an influencer on all the other things. You know, I think this is part of the challenge of innovation. And it's, you know, like even just when you say that, like, so you could you could measure invention, which is which is patents. But I there's almost like this counterintuitive thing, which is as soon as you start measuring innovation, you start to kill innovation in some ways, because then there's this sort of race to innovate. And the whole point of innovation is, is uh, you know, this might, this is probably the wrong word, and it might be provocative, but sort of a, 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 a lazy musing, right, which is like, you know, lazy is the wrong word, because nobody's, you know, you're not really being lazy, but it's like you're sauntering instead of jogging, right? That's the, the analogy is that you're like sitting there and you're thinking, you know, what if or what, you know, or, or like sitting with my children, talking about children, and they'll ask me a question and I'll sort of think about it and we'll experiment and children know how to do it very well. But as soon as you start measuring it, which is, you know, this paradox, because as soon as you start measuring it, you're putting pressure on delivering something, which by definition... I think begins to kill curiosity because curiosity takes time. And, you know, you could measure maybe something like how much time have I tossed around new ideas with a colleague? That would be a process measurement that could be really useful. But as soon as you start measuring the outcome of innovation, I wonder if that doesn't kill innovation. You know, that's an exceptional point. Uh, I have an old friend who is um, um, uh, who's a musician, and he constantly talks to me about the fact that, you know, you need leisure to create, right? You need that space. You need mental space, right? Which is very separated from the, um, you know, the realities of life or, or pressures to go and make money or pay rent and do other things, right? And that and that space uh, is helps creativity. But at the same time, right, if you think about the startups, there is pressure, Right. Every startup kind of has pressure and that's the pressure to be first to market or there's pressure because money is running out in the bank or the next round is not coming. Right. So what is that balance of um, pressure versus leisure time? Right. I work. I do my best work when I'm under pressure, but not too much pressure. Right. So it really depends. It's an exceptional point that you're raising. Right. A lot of people say, can innovation be done in large companies because there's not necessarily a big pressure, right? That's why innovation is happening in startups. I think I think the jury is still out 
for me personally, in my life, pressure is essential. Like I love it. There's nothing like a deadline, right? And at the same time, I need downtime and me time to go and process certain things. How you balance best of both worlds uh, as a human being and father of one, and soon to be two, I'm still trying to figure this out. I think it's much harder for corporations. Yeah, and I think this point that we're discussing, it feels like a very important point, which is this balance between you know, I've said I've, these are the words that I'm using, but productivity and inefficiency and and the balance between actually producing something at the end of the day and and actually giving yourself enough time and space to be thoughtful and curious and let your mind wander. It actually, you know, I think about the books that I've written and, and I, I feel like this whole conversation is making me want to write a book about how to be unproductive and inefficient and, you know, the importance of that uh, and the importance of giving ourselves space. I mean, I have a schedule like you where, you know, I've been at meeting after meeting after meeting and and it makes me think that's not really the right way uh, in in some sense to, you know, like you need you need time. And actually having kids is going to help you with that, uh, uh, Alex, if I could be so bold, because I know for me, I spent the weekend at at, uh, you know, a ski race with one of my kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the amount of time I just sat and couldn't do work, uh, but had to just be present, allowed my mind to wander in a number of different ways. And, and that that, you know, and, and the things that he said or did got me thinking in new ways. So, so being with a group of people who think differently than you uh, can also probably really help from innovation. We've been talking with Alex Goryachev. He is the Senior Director of Innovation uh, Strategy and Programs at Cisco. He had Cisco's Innovation Strategy. And uh, I've been delighted to have him on the podcast. Alex, thank you so much for speaking with us on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure. Hi, Peter Bregman here again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I want to remind you at the close that we are looking through applications now for the Bregman Leadership Intensive. I would love one of those applications to be you. Please go to the URL bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to learn more and apply for the intensive. It will really develop in an unimaginable way your emotional courage and impact your leadership and your life. Again, we cap it at 20 people, so don't hesitate to apply now. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week.